Hi guys, I wanted to hop on really quick and give a quick trigger warning. Um, As hinted by the title, this episode is very centered around trauma. There's a lot of talk about PTSD, domestic violence, relationship abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual assault, and manipulation. And there is also talk about self-harm and addiction, which I will timestamp in the episode notes so that if you'd like to skip over that, you can. But overall, it's a pretty heavy episode. So if it's not something that you feel like you have the space for right now, no worries at all. You are more than welcome to skip over it. Um, And then this episode also has some kind of funky audio quality. It's a little bit fuzzy and you can kind of tell that it's like a video recording. Um, Unfortunately, that's just an issue with the platform. Um, We had a few issues with the platform and the episodes were recorded out of order. So there's a few episodes where you're going to hear some issues, but this is one of them. So uh, I apologize. I've done everything I can with that. (laughs) But if you can tolerate it, please listen. It's a great episode. Um, But yeah, enjoy. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today we're going to be chatting about trauma and we have Emmy Marie from the account Blooming with Emmy with us today. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, I wanted to kind of chat with you because uh, I haven't even told you this, but I have followed your account for quite a long time. Oh. And um, I a lot of my initial exploration of mental health and trauma was through Instagram, yeah. which I, I think is actually pretty common nowadays. Um, yeah. It was just a safe space for me to not feel judged and to be able to kind of do some research on my own that was condensed into smaller, you know, palatable bites compared to trying to go look up some psychological journal and understand yeah. what my brain was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so mm-hmm. it's actually like a little bit of a full circle moment for me to have you on. Um, yeah, but so yeah, cool. so feel free to uh, share a little bit of your background and what got you into this and what your mm-hmm. platform is. Yeah. So I think that's such a good jumping off point is just sharing like that little bit about Instagram because um, it's I've, Instagram, I've, you know, I've had a complicated relationship over the years. Uh, where it's like, okay, social media is pretty bad for my mental health. Um, And then I started joining kind of the community of like trauma survivors on Instagram and posting at one point, I was anonymous, just kind of, uh, I would do 10 minutes of creativity a day and it was usually writing. And then I would post it on this other Instagram I had that was separate from my, you know, normal one I've had since 2012 or whatever. And uh it never, I never set out with the intention of like, I'm going to be a coach or a therapist or anything. It was just like, I'm a survivor and I want to share my feelings and sort of like poetry. And then I was obsessed with learning about trauma and I was reading books about trauma, listening to podcasts about trauma, uh, essentially educating myself on trauma uh, in my free time. And, you know, it's like, where, what do I do with this information? Like, who is interested in this information? Uh, no one that that I thought in my life. So I would just post about on Instagram. And um, I now realize that Instagram and other social media are like some of the most accessible ways to reach people because a lot of people have social media versus not, you know, 
a lot of people might not like go to the bookstore and buy a book or like even to get a book published is incredibly difficult. Um, so it's like a lot of people are on social media. So it's pretty, uh, it's easier to reach a large audience. And then uh, as it goes, you know, a lot of, I am a trauma survivor. So, you know, starting back with that, like my story is I was in an abusive relationship for three years. That was uh, mostly verbal and emotional abuse. Uh, what is commonly known as narcissistic abuse, um, where my self-esteem and sense of worth and, you know, like life, <laughs> life force was completely diminished. Uh, over the course of three years. And then there was also, you know, sexual abuse, some physical abuse um, throughout there as well. But it was primarily like psychological, mental, emotional. Uh, so that happened to me when I was in high school, which is a really interesting time because no people don't really call it child abuse when it's two teenagers. Um, but it's also, you know, hard for people to call that domestic violence or like adult interpersonal right. abuse. And you're not so, taught that domestic violence can happen at that age either. Right. You you think of like the 30-year-old housewife. You don't think mm -hmm. of the high schooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's harder to name. And I think when something's, you don't know what to name it, it's harder to get help, uh, which is another part of my mission of, you know, being present on social media and having a large platform is to help get this information out to as many people as possible. So they can say like, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me wasn't normal or okay. Even when the pit in my stomach said, you know, you're not okay. It was like, well, this is just what, you know, he, he was really protective, like not thinking like, oh, he is incredibly controlling and abusive. It was just like, you know, I must have done something wrong or whatever. Um, so anyways, that went on. My, this is like going all over the place, but I ignored that for a few years and just tried to move on, ended up repeating the cycle of trauma a few different times and just dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of fear, uh, and not understanding that I had trauma. I was traumatized. Um, so eventually, a couple years later, I got help. I Finally, my symptoms got so bad that I couldn't really ignore it anymore. Uh, so I did get help as a therapist. I uh, got diagnosed with PTSD and then finally started to kind of slowly and gradually heal. Um, and, you know, so a couple years into the healing process is when I started sharing on Instagram anonymously. After about a year, I, it started kind of picking up and getting a little more popular. And at the same time, I was healing like pretty substantially and starting to really feel like, okay, I, I, can go after what I want. I can maybe do this as a career. I can like do something with this because clearly people are drawn to my writing. Um, I love doing it. And so eventually I figured out there's a very unique field of life coaching, which is called trauma informed life coaching, or you can just say trauma coach. So my qualifications are, is I'm a certified trauma informed life coach which essentially means that I am coaching people. So it's different than therapy, which is about, you know, processing the traumatic memories and kind of focusing a lot on the past. Life coaching is more about focusing on the present and the future. And they can overlap quite a bit. I've definitely had therapists that were, now I know, coaching, and that's totally fine and totally appropriate. 
Whereas I can't do therapy. I'm not licensed or qualified. Um, but as a trauma survivor, I know what it feels like to feel like no one understands what you're going through. You're completely alone. It's your fault. It happened. It's your fault. You can't get over it. And, you know, I think as many people as possible are able to step up and use their lived experience combined with training, you know, in whatever modality they want to do to help people see that, like, who they are is okay. There is hope. Um, so that's kind of what I've devoted my you know, career as far as I do consider it like my life's purpose. But for now, um, I'm grateful to be yeah, a trauma coach. Yeah. And um, I'd love to touch on a few things within that. Um, for one, it is a very good point regarding the fact that training can give you a lot and education can give you a lot. But having a shared human experience, I would argue, can a lot of the times give you more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever had a therapist. I've gone through a lot of therapists and that's something that I just even recently saw on social media of someone being like, um, we need to talk more about how a lot of therapists are n- not good at what they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is a really good point. And it also mm-hmm. is not to shit on therapists. I'm quite right. literally, well, I want to be a trauma therapist. I have a degree mm-hmm. in psychology and I'm planning on going back and getting my master's. But nice. um it's something where just because someone has a license in something doesn't mean they're good at it. Just like mm. you, there are, there are bad doctors. There are bad um, veterinarians. I've been battling some lovely health mm. issues with my pup and we mm. are discovering that veterinarians are often really shitty. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I've never once had a therapist that is uh, good at dealing with specifically my experience of sexual assault and dealing mm-hmm. with sexual assault if they haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's similar to the way of like, if you're a black woman, you're not going to want a white woman as your therapist. Right. You're not because there's not a shared right. experience in that. And it's just like, it's, it's basically feels like someone's mansplaining something to you. And it's, you know what I mean? And it's honestly similar yeah. to the way that like, I would never want a man to be my therapist. I had a, 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 a man, a male therapist once and it was, awful um i don't and personally like won't go to a male doctor dentist oh fuck no uh if i Uh, have any say whatsoever male gynecologists should not exist and i i I say that with my full heart um but yeah i think it's interesting because it's one of those communities that you don't want to be in you know what i mean it's not like you asked to be in this community but it's a community that once you're in it you have an understanding to some extent and it, it, it's like a, it's almost like a sisterhood or a brotherhood or just yeah. like a sibling dynamic where it's just like, yep. there's a, there's a shared experience there that can't be taught and it can't be learned in a textbook and it can't be learned in a class. It's something that yep. you, you, there's this, it, it is like a trauma bond and it's a trauma bond in a weird, unique way, but there is this kind of like trauma bond where it's just like, I know, what you've been through and oh excuse me ma'am we've got stevie ray with us here today as well so if you hear some little some little lovely barking she's playing guard dog at the moment um but yeah it's just one of those things where you really do need some shared experience and so i think there's so much value to taking your trauma and trying to help others with it because it is one of those things where not everybody feels comfortable doing that. Right. 
And that is so fucking valid. But if Mm -hmm. it's something that you do feel comfortable doing, like Mm -hmm. run with it because you're going to be more helpful to people, in my opinion, than people who haven't experienced similar trauma. Um, Yeah, that's really interesting. And I... um, Now I'm going to lose my thought. (laughs) I think there's something to be said for like the safety aspect of like, trauma has an inherent nature of like you do not feel safe or yes. at one point you felt com- so overwhelmed so unsafe that that is leaving a lasting impression in your body at least that you're not safe and something is wrong so it can constantly right. be expressed as anxiety uh, a sense of fear shutting down even anger and like having like a really irritated like picking a fight kind of thing is like mm-hmm. i'm not safe to just like be here with you like some the shoe's gonna drop so i'm gonna get it to drop first um but regardless it's like so if if so much of the trauma comes from feeling unsafe then the healing has so much to do with feeling safe and if you're able to see someone who's like hey i went through this you know and i don't know how you feel of course and exactly but like you know that I've survived like an experience similar to yours or I'm very right. familiar with these things you're describing that make you feel quote unquote crazy or damaged or broken. I'm like, I've literally been there. I feel like this happens with my clients like almost every single session at some point where I'm just like, you. It, it's like you, myself in 2014 is speaking through you right now. Like right, I understand right. exactly what you're saying. So anyways, that can contribute to such a sense of safety that like, um, can absolutely be developed in all sorts of relationships. But I think, you know, in therapy, sometimes that can take a lot longer to develop because therapists for, you know, ethical and therapeutic reasons don't typically self-disclose or tell much yes, about themselves. Yes. So it's just harder. Like, so I'm just very glad I don't have those limitations. And of course, I don't sit there and like tell my clients my whole story, but like they see a lot of it on the internet where I'm very open. Right. So they, they go into sessions knowing like I can trust this person isn't going to judge me because they have been through the same or very similar things. Right. And that's helpful too, because it's like you can pair trauma coaching with therapy and it's mm-hmm. like, you can get that, that, um, the therapy from someone the who is team. exactly. And I, yeah. I would, I would argue like that there's so much value from both and that there's, uh, mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. more value combined, but yeah, no, I've yeah. had that as well. Where I've, I think the only, I, I my therapist currently, um, bless her heart, uh, she is just fucking amazing. And I had, mm-hmm. I've been through like eight therapists, and she is the only one who is like stuck. Um, and part yeah. of that was she actually led a support group that I was in, mm-hmm. um, during college. And so I found her via a support group and it was, nice. it, it was what was the catalyst to my healing. Mm-hmm. I had never, ever, ever heard of the term, uh, coping mechanism in a mental health setting. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what it was. And mm-hmm. I remember as a kiddo telling my family I would, I have grew up in a very religious environment. And so I struggle with, um, with trauma, but then I also struggle with, um, I'm in a weird little spot between borderline personality disorder and bipolar. So I'm kind of like halfway between. And so I don't have a diagnosis with either one because I don't actually like qualify for either. 
Okay. But it's like a 60 40, um, yeah, which wow. my therapist has like really encouraged me just like, you don't need the title. Like right. you are understanding how your brain works and it is a spectrum. And like, yeah. you don't, we don't need to slap a title on it. Yeah. But um, I would grow up with, uh, you know, Bible verses being thrown at me. And that was the only method of coping and the only tools that I had. And I remember literally sobbing as a kid and not knowing how to regulate my moods and asking why it worked for everyone else and it didn't work for me. And it just didn't make any sense. And I didn't understand what was wrong with me or what I was doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And walking into a support group, I think like the first session was like, here is your toolbox. And I was like, what? And yeah. the way that she laid it out, I'm very like, I'm very type A, I'm very black or white. And like, I do really well when information is explained to me in mm-hmm. almost a little bit of like a clinical sense. And it's yeah. very specific. And there's not a lot of like metaphors. It's just like, here we are. Like, this is how your brain is working. Here's the biology. And I'm just like, okay, I get it now. And it yeah. was something that like, it like drastically shifted my viewpoint. And then later on, like even being in a support group where I had never talked to anyone else who had been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and I'm sitting there with other women who are from ages. I was the youngest one there. I was like 19. And there's people that I think we had someone who was like 60 something. And we're all sitting there in a room. And it was like this literal sisterhood where mm-hmm. I... Like you said, there was an immediate feeling of safety. I didn't know any of them. Yeah, I didn't have any conversations right. with them because of um, even like, you know, trying to keep confidentiality. There wasn't right. a lot of discussion about our names or like talking afterwards or meeting outside right. of the group. It was all just pretty like when we were there, we were there. Yeah. And I didn't know any of them. And I literally walked in and it was like, oh, we have this shared experience and I, therefore, like I, you are safe with, like, I know I'm safe yeah. here. And, um, yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I, obviously I would argue that it, not every person who has been, who's experienced trauma is a safe person, but I do think you kind of right. develop a little bit of a radar where you're kind of like, right. Okay. No, I know. I know we're good here. Um, right. But yeah, I would even love to dive in a little bit, um, into relationship abuse. Cause I do think that that's mm. something that like we mentioned, there kind of is this stigma of domestic violence and I don't know how you grew up and how your brain processed it, but I know that I've been in in, um, multiple abusive relationships and dynamics and I didn't know they were abuse until afterwards, like very far afterwards. And it was mainly because there wasn't really, um, I wasn't getting punched in the face. And so I was like, well, I'm fine. And I'm, I'm being a baby if I'm, Right. You know, and I also felt almost like I was being dramatic or like I was over exaggerating yeah. if I called these different manipulation techniques and these different um, psychological uh, methods of abuse. If I called them abuse, then I was taking it way too far. And right. I was like putting this label that wasn't okay to put on it. Right. So I'd love to even kind of dive into that a little bit and chat yeah. with you about how your experience with that and even how you learned to be able to accept and label it as abuse and kind of learn how to accept that and then, then go through the healing of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is always a really good topic to talk about because 
yeah, people basically think like, not even just relationships with like romantic partners, but friendships, employers, family, uh, people will think, well, you know, they didn't hit me or neglect me. Um, so like, mm, I guess it wasn't abuse. I guess I'm just a baby. I'm too sensitive, all that. And that's why we got to like disrupt this narrative that abuse is only physical abuse or neglect. Um, because and that's what's so interesting about having trauma that was like as severe as mine was, which if people are familiar with the term complex PTSD, that's uh, very, that's the label I use. And it is different than PTSD in that it typically is caused by a chronic long-term uh, situation, whereas PTSD can happen from like a one-time event. Uh, you know, so they, then they, there's lots of overlap and all that. But anyways... Well, and um, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong here, but complex PTSD also is, I know that with PTSD, if it's say a car accident, yeah, you might be able to move past it in a more condensed time frame. Yes. where maybe you're, <laughs> maybe you're experiencing triggers for a year, but maybe your triggers right. don't last for 12 years. Maybe yeah, it's just like it's, more yeah. condensed. It's like easier to treat. Uh, and yeah, exactly. Like see, like complex PTSD. It's, it's like, less complex. The, right, the yeah. PTSD is less, less complex than complex PTSD. Right, right. And it might have simpler trigger. like regular PTSD might have simpler triggers of like, yeah, I get in a car and I feel nervous. Whereas like complex PTSD is like something positive will happen to you. Like so you'll feel the feeling of someone giving you attention and care. And you're like, I feel so anxious and scared right now. And it's like, why? You know, this isn't, yeah, anyways. <laughs> Um, so yeah, relationship abuse. Um, and that's, what's so interesting about being a teenager, because looking back, I, it's like those hormones are, you know, you're becoming an adult. And you, for me, at least I really felt like an adult. Like I was like, yeah, I love, and I love deeply. I've always been a deep feeler, a total like romantic. And I was like, basically what happened for me and what for a lot of people is you you get in a relationship with someone and once again does not have to be romantic it really could be any kind uh and you go through this like love bombing phase where they essentially are kind of reading you for any needs you have any desires you have and they are mirroring it back perfectly of like they're basically presenting this facade that they are the perfect person for you and so chemicals in your brain get you attached to this person. So it's not like a choice. You're not just like, okay, like I'm just now going to be so committed to you that whatever you do to me, like I won't leave. It's not like a conscious choice. It's like your brain literally produces chemicals that bond you to this person. And they, you know, I don't think this person that did this to me or a lot of abusers know that, right? It's not like they're literally like, okay, I'm going to get the chemicals to bond, but they're like, whatever their needs are for attention, for love, whatever, you know, they're, they're getting you hooked. And then the rug slowly starts getting pulled out from under you. So it's not like all of a sudden one day they're just like horrible. Typically, sometimes that does happen, but it's more of like a very slow buildup of gradually humiliating you, degrading you, wearing down your boundaries, pushing you, pushing your limits, seeing how far they can take it until you snap. And typically, the victims in these situations are very empathetic, uh, very desire to help others, want to, you know, typically pretty easygoing people. So 
basically what I'm saying is they can take a lot because if if one of these like one of these abusive or manipulative people picks someone that has really strong boundaries and is like, oh hell no, like you can't talk to me like that. Right. That's not what they want. <laughs> well, even like I've had two experiences and one was very short and one was my assaulter. Mm-hmm. And so we, our relationship was very brief, but there mm-hmm. was an excessive amount of abuse that happened in that very brief mm-hmm. period. But it was, um, for, for him, for one, he is like a groomer, like a hundred percent. So yeah. it, there was a, there was a very intentional and I, like you said, I don't know if it's intentional in his mind or not. I really couldn't right? tell you. I, he he seems to think like he's never doing anything wrong. So I, mm-hmm. I would lean towards it, it's not intentional. It's just right. happening. Um, and there's a lot of trauma in his background as well. Right. And so that's always where it gets tricky. Yeah, it um, is. But it was something where um, he, he was very specific. And it was um, his victims were all people who looked similar who had um, similar mannerisms, um, Mm -hmm. similar interests, weird enough, Mm -hmm. similar food allergies. It got that specific. Um, Our parents, I know another one of his victims, our parents had similar professions, like very, very down to the wire. And Mm -hmm. he found people in their weak moment. Mm -hmm. And that was his strategy was... Um, he found me while I was recovering from an assault that had happened years prior mm-hmm. and he came in as a support person and then it slowly started to turn. Right. And then my other situation was the opposite where it was like the relationship seemed so wonderful and great. And I would argue till kind of like death that it was not intentional at all, mm-hmm. but it was something that, like you said, it was very gradual and right. I was already emotionally invested Mm-hmm. And my thing was, like you said, the safety aspect is so important. And when you find someone that you feel safe with, but then right. there's this weird dichotomy of they're also the least safe person for you, right. but they're the only right. person that's safe for you. Mm-hmm. Then or you're like the only person for you. Right. Like, exactly. Like no one will ever get me like you get me. Oh, they yep. tell you that. Like, yeah, yeah. And no, that was my, um, that was my thing was. And it was interesting because it was never a a narrative that he encouraged, but I was Mm. so insecure and so incredibly shaken up. And I had just gone through a really intense trauma and I was just convinced that there was no one else for me. And it was just one of those things where it was like, well, I can't, I know that I'm not being treated in the best way, but I'd also kind of explain it away and be like, well, I know everyone can have their Prince Charming, you know what I mean? And kind of just like explain Mm -hmm. it away. Mm-hmm. And the more and more that I was, um, it, the deeper and deeper that we got, the deeper and deeper I got attached, the more and more codependent it got, right. um, the more and more he became the only person in my life. Right. And yeah. I wasn't listening right. to friends. I wasn't listening to family. I wasn't listening right. to red flags. Right. And like you said, I did have that, that gut intuition. Right. Which I think a lot of us often have. Right. But when you're at a place where you're really low and you really need, you need support, you need encouragement, you need validation. Someone's giving that to you, but then also hurting you in that same, you know, same breath. Um, a lot of the times you don't have the, um, you don't feel like you have the energy or the ability to listen to that intuition and walk away from a situation where that might feel like the only safe spot for you. Right. 
even yeah, though it's the least yeah. safe like, <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah. And like, not to mention when, uh, you start to learn, okay, so this feeling in my stomach is my fault. And every time they yell at me, it's because I did something wrong and they're making me cry because I fucked up. Yes. Start, because the narrative, instead of every time you stand up for yourself, if you ever do, which you probably do at the beginning of like, Hey, why'd you say that? Like, that was mean. They're right. Like, and then oh, there's conversations. So right. Yeah. Right. They're like, Oh, Oh, you're fine. And then you just build more and more until you're like, until they're like, well, I wouldn't do this to you if you didn't, some imaginary thing you never did or like I wouldn't do this to you if you didn't overreact so bad and it's like you're literally just reacting like it's all such psychological warfare and just like complete mindfuckery and that's the right. point like that right. it's so insidious and awful <laughs> yeah and it's such a good point um I I yeah I my my gut instincts are typically quite strong and I just recently have started to like talk with my therapist and she's like, you need to listen to those more often because they're right. And you're not listening to them. And I'm like, fuck, you're right. Sorry. Um, but I literally, you're, it's, you're totally spot on. There were so many instances where I would sit there and I'd be like, I know that what just happened was wrong. And I Mm -hmm. know that I should never allow anyone to speak to me like that. Yeah. But I was being really annoying or I was being too much or my anxiety was asking too much of this person. And so they, of course they have their breaking point and like everybody's human and like they, they, he hit his breaking point, but then the breaking point started getting hit more and more often. And the intervals were shorter and shorter where it used to be. He'd hit the breaking point every few months and then it was every few weeks and then it was every week and then it was every few days. And now we're at every day where we're screaming, fighting every single day. And I'm getting insults and emotional and verbal abuse hurled at me. And I remember, so it's so fucked up because our society, like, like we already mentioned, um, the, the physical abuse is so much more talked about. Right. And there's, there's so much more validity placed on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember that it didn't actually hit me that it was fucked up until there was an instance. There was only one instance in the entirety of our relationship where there was a physical incident and it wasn't super bad. Wasn't a lot. I didn't walk out with a bloody nose or a black eye, but I remember literally sitting there and what was the, the part that, that clicked in my brain was I had to, we were fighting and it was loud. And, um, my roommate walked into the living room when he was physically abusing me. And I had to then go have a conversation with her and say, Oh, we were just, uh, it was a bad fight. I was really overreacting and I was being Uh really emotional. And I, I had, I had asked and he was just blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm sitting there explaining this away to this person who me and this girl were not close. And so I'm sitting there basically being like, don't, tell anyone and like please right. don't like fucking call 911 on my boyfriend because you just witnessed this mm-hmm. and that was kind of where i still wasn't ready to to exit mm-hmm. but i remember sitting there and being like oh fuck oh fuck like this is getting bad and yeah. Yeah. interesting enough the relationship was not ended by me which is a kind of rare occurrence when it comes right. to abusive relationships um, yeah. And thank God he ended it because I don't think I would have because I was right. like very in it. But that was the and it's interesting that it sometimes it takes uh, hitting that level of abuse that you think 
counts as abuse because that's what you've been seeing in society. Even in movies, you see like, you know, toxic, toxic, toxic relationships. Oh my God. Yeah. And then a girl gets slapped and you're like, girl, leave him. Like, that's terrible. And then all of a sudden now we're all up in arms. Don't get me started. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I think even a good thing for us to even kind of transition into is maybe even how to recognize some of that early yeah. on and maybe some of those red flags to look out for. Do you have any that kind of come to mind? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the first thing I want to mention while we're on the topic of kind of physical abuse is uh, until like two years ago, I never really counted anything that I went through as physical abuse because I wasn't beaten. Yeah, we had one incident one time, but I just, you know, compared to all the rest, it was like, whatever. Um, but I was listening to another podcast that was talking about different kinds of abuse and they basically outlined that physical abuse is not just violence. It's also like being trapped in a room, being held down. Um, yes, yes. that was my experience as well. I didn't get hit. I was restrained. And also, yeah, like displays of violence that are not at you. Like they punch a wall, they hurt a, Mm a animal. They slam a door. All of that is cueing your nervous system into if this person wants to hurt you, they can easily hurt you. So, like, yeah, while they're not, it's like, and combined with verbal threats and emotional um, fear, like, you know, like they're the whole point is they, you stay in their control because they scare you so bad. Um, And then on the flip side, love you so much or whatever. So, I just want to make that clear is like, those things are still physical abuse because your body is feeling like, you know, I'm not safe, even if you're not being physically hurt. Um, but yeah, a lot, there's a lot of red flags and I would be happy to share some of them um, with a preface of, I can't stay here and define for everyone what is a red flag and what is possibly a trigger, especially if you've been traumatized and right. now dating someone. Like it might... I, I, I still get triggered once in a while, even though I know my partner is incredibly safe and amazing. Uh, so I just want to be clear that anything I say right now, please do not go and run with without giving it conscious thought and, you know, considering for yourself. Right. And before you hop into that really quick, just to uh, sure. piggyback on your last topic mm-hmm. or your last uh, point of specifically mm-hmm. it not needing to be a punch in the face, a slap in the face, right. just to even add more validity to that. Um, if you're listening and you're curious about learning more about that, um, if you literally look up like circle of domestic violence or cycle of domestic violence on Google, um, you will come across a graphic that is a circle at the center of it is power and control. And then there are little triangles surrounding that that outline what physical and sexual violence looks like. And it's not just you got kicked you got punched, you got uh, raped, et cetera. Although those are obviously also valid, but it's Mm -hmm. also using isolation, controlling what someone does, controlling who they talk to, what they read, putting Mm -hmm. someone down, um, making them uh, unfriend certain groups of people, Mm -hmm. trying to intimidate them. Um, Reckless driving is one that I experienced a lot is you get in a car with them and they drive in a really scary way or Mm -hmm. you are driving and they are intentionally fucking with you and distracting you or they they won't the thing that happened to me was my abuser wouldn't leave my car and refused to leave and it's like i I can't push him out like i don't know what to do 
Yes. So yeah. Also, Ooh. that's such bullshit. Don't do that to people. That right. is, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I have definitely, I have done that to people, and I have been like in a fight with someone, and been like, no, we're gonna finish this fight. Mm. And then I literally have had instances where then I have that done to me in an abusive dynamic, and I'm like, oh, that was be- abusive behavior that I was exhibiting. Yeah. And that's also really important to note yeah. that yes. just be just because you yeah. may not be an abuser in a situation right. doesn't mean that you haven't exhibited abusive behavior before. The right. abusive relationship that I was in, I was also totally, uh, totally I was abusive in many ways. Right. And there were, it was a very toxic uh, right. dual relationship right. where we were both wildly toxic to each other. I would argue that it got way more intense from him to me towards the end. And it was like, yeah. we escalated a lot. Um, and that's yeah. why in my brain, he is the abuser, but I am not, like, there also needs to be some inward reflection too, yeah. because, and that's a hard right. thing to swallow, especially when you've experienced abuse to then look at yourself and go, Ooh, so I've been abusive and that mm-hmm. feels super icky and I don't like that. And also now how do I grow from that and learn from that? Yeah, but yeah, I wanted to point. I wanted to add that on and literally if you just Google circle of domestic violence, if you are experiencing domestic violence, if you think that you may be experiencing domestic violence and you need help, um, you can also call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 1-800-799-SAFE. I want to give that out really quick as well. So that and I will add that yeah. at the beginning of the episode too. But um, yeah. yeah, just wanted to throw that out. But yes, so yeah. red flags. Let's let's go down that road yeah okay so this is one of those things where like i was mentioning love bombing of course if you meet someone and everything's really great i don't want you to take from this that that is a red flag however if very quickly into the relationship you're finding there's like no boundaries between the two of you that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be abusive but i would recommend trying not to um do that and and instead even if it's really hard for you as it was for me have some boundaries in the relationship and make sure you're not losing yourself right away even if this person seems like the best person you've ever met like sometimes we meet friends and we're like you're the best person i've ever met but you don't spend every day or night together you know you still have your own lives and then maybe as it develops they become your best friend and you hang out all the time but it's because you gradually came to trust them Uh, So there's this thing where, you know, in abusive relationships, often the the trust can be fabricated. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier is when they seem to meet every need you've ever had and they are just perfect for you. It could not be and it could be that they are doing that to intentionally get you to trust them and love them uh, so they can use and exploit you. You know, and it's like, I really don't want people to say, oh, my amazing new relationship is bad. I'm just saying, you know, this is a pattern of abusive relationships that I've been in. But still, by all means, enjoy your beautiful honeymoon phase. Just make sure you're still focusing on other aspects of your life, like your passions, your hobbies, your friends, your family. Like, don't get rid of everything and just focus on that person alone. I think a good boundary for that, too, and one that I'm a big all in all, like very fast type person. And so my boundary, because I completely agree with that, that it can also just go kind of toxic kind of fast if if you go that route. Uh, Start off with once a week. Do a designated date night. Like pick a date night. And if you're someone who really likes routines and likes to have a schedule, pick like Saturday night and say, hey, can that be our date night? 
And then you've got this lovely routine going, but then you can also designate, you know, Friday night for girls night and Sunday night for you or whatever. And that way you've got some balance in your life and you're not just going a thousand miles per hour in on this one person Mm -hmm. because, and even like that can even just, you can go so much faster emotionally, physically, whatever, than you're even intending to go. Every relationship mm-hmm. that I've had where we go zero to a hundred, which I'm gonna, not going to lie, that's most of the relationships that I've had because I yeah. love to go zero to a hundred. Um, yep. It's been like, we say, I love you really soon. Right. Like we're physical very quickly and not right. that it's something that I regret necessarily, but looking back, it's like, okay, that was very fast considering right. that we'd known each other for like a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond that phase, some more red flags would be if you are scared to okay first of all it's normal to be scared to open up to your partner especially if they're new in your life but if this is someone that is giving you all this affirmation of how wonderful and amazing you are and you're terrified to tell them something because you know they're going to get mad at you okay like very interesting that you part of you knows like they're gonna get mad at me that's very different than you're like oh I've never told them this before like it's a really vulnerable fact about my past or my family or something yeah of course that's scary but if you do like what I advocate for is taking small risks so for example you have like for me I have a abusive relationship in my past I didn't meet my current partner and tell him that for four months but in that time you know I would tell him like little things about myself that maybe I was self-conscious of or like something to do something that I had processed and wasn't like triggering for me right and baby steps yeah yeah give them a chance to respond and this is going to be a a useful gauge for you and this is for friends for every relationship is like like should I be afraid of you because they can do a really good job of pretending yes yes (laughs) and then if you say something and they you know, dismiss it, reject it, don't take it seriously, don't respect you. It's like red flag, you know, and it's right. like, walk away right now. But it's like, if, if and you say like, hey, that that really hurt how you just kind of dismissed that thing I said, it was important to me. And they're like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, the response, they, the response. Yeah. And they change that behavior. Awesome. But if they're like, what, you're being dramatic or like, yeah, for sure, I'll change. And then they never change. It's like, right not great. (laughs) Right. Gauging the kind of response to correction and then also the response to like sensitive topics. I always, I'm still in the dating scene and I'm, you know, which is a shit show on its own, but that's something that I really try to, I try to like drop little hints about sexual assault and not my personal sexual assault, but mention it in a conversation and kind of see like, How's you your, what is your, yeah, what's yeah. your response to that? Because right. I have had guys where I'm on a date and they're like, I've literally had someone be like, oh, there's a lot of guys who are falsely accused. And I'm like, yep, and we are Bye. moving on. Yep. Like, no, thank you. And then <laughs> right. if you, you've got the people who then, you know, sometimes are like, oh yeah, it just like, I, I, I don't even understand how anyone could ever do that to someone. Like it literally just makes me frustrated thinking about it. And then you're like, okay. Well, you seem safer. Yeah. Um, and it just does give you a little bit of a gauge, even just to someone's character. Right. And learning right. a little bit about them without having to blatantly be like, hello, I am a sexual yeah. assault victim. How do right. you feel about that? And response. Right. It gives right. a little bit of an easier gauge. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Some other things is like if you feel like they give backhanded compliments of like, um, like saying they say something nice, but for some reason it makes you feel bad or like it just feels off or like they're they're comparing you to like this other person, like like almost like a competitive thing of like, oh, well, you're so much cooler than her. It's like, what's wrong with her? Or like, why? Why? Yeah. Because basically what that means is. Like, for example, if they like say, oh, like your dress is so you dress so much more modestly, like that girl looks like a slut or something. And you're like, okay, so that was a compliment. But now if I dress like that, that means I'm doing something wrong. And that's basically this is how people start controlling you without saying like, hey, you're not allowed to wear revealing clothing. It's like I'm going to give you gradual. Right. I'm going to teach you that I don't approve of that. And you'll start to know the punishment if you exactly it's exactly like yeah it's it's all so gradual and I think that that's one of the things that the media does incorrectly is when you yeah. watch media depictions of domestic violence right. it's something that is a wildly quick and yes. it's it's very it escalates very fast uh, uh, just compared to um, oh Stevie just joined us you got to back off girlfriend. Um, it escalates very quickly compared to um, how gradual it actual actually is. It's actually very, very, very gradual. And mm-hmm. it, that's why a lot of these beginning signs you might not catch on to until you're in the, the thick of it. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, how did I get here? Um, yep. Which I wanted to even uh, touch specifically on control. Because I think that that is one that you would think is maybe more obvious. But for a lot of people that I've spoken to who have been in abusive dynamics, it, it, they that's like one of the first things is it's like very, it starts like, like we said, little tiny, tiny things that are mm-hmm. controlled where it, whether that's like, oh, I don't really want you to go out that late. And it might just be something really minor. And it's not a conversation. It's not a, Mm-mm. hey, that that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Can we chat about it? It's not It's not a conversation where you're equals. Right. It's a, right. it's a, I'm dictating what you need to yeah. be doing. And then that slowly starts to escalate. For me, it there was always reasoning behind it. And it was always like really like in my brain, it was explained away as really valid right. reasoning. Where right. it was, oh, I don't want you to do this because I really think it's going to harm you. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's just not good for your brain to be like, you know, for me, the one of the really weird ones was TV shows. Yes. Fucking weird. But I, I my, that too. yeah, my ex-partner was like really specific about what TV shows he wanted me to watch and like didn't want me to watch and would literally tell me things that I couldn't watch. And yeah. his reasoning for that was like, oh, I don't want it to like poison your brain or like it's really toxic and like you don't need to be watching that. Right. I was a grown ass woman. Right. I was 20 years old and I was like, um, excuse me. And I remember being right. pissed about it at first, but then it was like the 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 cost of losing him was so much right. greater than the oh, cost of losing keeping up with the Kardashians. Right. Which yes. was the one that he was really set on, which right. is so I get it. They're trash right. people, but like let's yeah. move forward. It's entertaining. Right. And, and it's I, that was his fucking business. Like Yeah, and that was know? one of the ones that he really got caught up on. And I remember literally being like, the cost of losing him is so much greater than the cost of me losing Kim and Chloe. Right. So we'll lose we'll lose Kim and Chloe. Yes. And then those little things started to escalate right. to where now we're having situations where there is physical 
um, yeah. restraints. And there, there's, there's that physical abuse aspect that still yeah. all boils down to control. Like that's right. what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're like so much of what you're saying is the unbalanced power dynamic of like, if you feel like you need to ask for permission and I don't mean have a conversation of like, Hey, I want to do this tonight. I'm just letting you know, like, then I, I, mean, I care about your opinion, but especially early on in a relationship, it's like, it is none of their business. If you want to go out with your friends, you don't have to ask for permission. Um, you know, I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't even talk to another guy, you know, and I'm in high school and obviously, you know, I was in a co-ed high school. There's boys everywhere. It's like, and I felt like I couldn't even talk to any of them because it wasn't safe because my boyfriend was constantly accusing me of cheating on him. Uh, and it's like, it's all a mechanism for them to have control over you. So basically, if you feel like you're starting to be put in a box, even if, yeah, it's just TV shows for now, or yeah, it's just this one little quirk you have, you know, that can, like, it, okay, first of all, if you say to them, hey, you know, I, I know, like, for some reason, you have a really strong opinion about this TV show, but like, I'm going to keep watching it. And they're like, all right, you know, go ahead. That's very exactly. different. Like that's an opportunity for you to say like, okay, for some reason this really annoys them, but they're not like, they're not going to get mad at me for doing something that is not harming them. Like, right. Right. There's you know. a very big difference between sharing your opinion on something right. and disagreeing, which is not what either of us are talking about right. here. Like, there can be disagreement in a relationship and there will be disagreement in a relationship, yeah. even if it is the healthiest relationship on the face of the earth. And you're going to disagree on things and there's going to be certain things that bug your partner or that <laughs> your partner's like, Ugh, I don't like that. And you're like, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> and that's just something that you have to kind of communicate through. And even with like going out, if it's something where it's like, hey, like uh, we'll, we'll do a really specific scenario here. Like say... Uh, uh, hey, I'm going to go out. And maybe you didn't give your partner a big heads up on that. And mm -hmm. they thought you guys were going to spend the night together and hang out. And then there's some hurt feelings. That's a lot different of saying, oh, right. I'm so bummed. I wanted to hang out with you. Like next right. time, would you mind just letting me know so that we're on the same page schedule right. wise and I can set my expectations accordingly um, right. compared to uh, it is way too late for you to be going out with your friends. Right. Like that's this is this is a lot. And even sometimes when it's like the sarcasm where it's like maybe not blatantly like mm -hmm. I'm for like, you're forbidden. You can't go out right. with your friends because it's never right. it's like often not that direct unless you're really far into it. But right. at the beginning, it's typically not that direct. It's typically mm -hmm. little nuanced uh, digs and little right. nuanced comments. And yeah, with with the whole I'll just use my weird TV show example, which I didn't realize was that bad until I got out of the relationship. And I told right. my mom and my mom was like, Fina what the fuck like that is really drastic and a very weird thing for someone to be um very right. set on controlling you in and um I, mm -hmm. when i was a, i'm a fiery person and so you know I, I was like what the fuck no i'm gonna keep watching it what are you talking about and there was then yeah. a literal compared to saying, okay, sure. Keep watching it. Like, I hate that you watch it. And I think it's stupid, but like, whatever, like it's your yeah. life. You can do what you want. Uh, there was a literal boundary set for him. And I wouldn't call it a boundary. I would say it's a method of control, but um, right. he literally then said, you're not allowed to watch it while you're here. Right. 
And the, if the word allowed is right. used, there's a big red flag. There's a right. big like, don't, that's not a good word to be used. But right. then that was like the step further where when, when I responded and I corrected him and said like, Hey, no, you can't talk to me like that. You can't control me like that. Right. Then, then he doubled down. And when there is that doubling down, that once again, it does give you a gauge into that person's character where if those things are happening earlier on and you're seeing these um, defensive kind of narcissistic responses to when you express concern about something that is very legitimate and toxic, that's, that's something that you should really pay attention to. And that's something that you should keep in your brain and say, hmm, this mm-hmm. doesn't sound right. And honestly, mm-hmm. like with those types of things, I would always suggest you get out sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of things. Um, so I'm like taking notes because I'm like, oh, we got to stay on top of it. Um, so yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> one of the things is, um, do you feel like whether they're explicitly saying like, okay, well, if you go to out tonight, I'm going to give you the silent treatment until tomorrow or I'm going to withhold sex or affection or love or I'm going to verbally assault you or you know physically whatever like even if they don't directly threaten you if you have this feeling in your stomach of like I'm going to get in trouble for this or like I better have my phone on me in case they text me or like they're going to get mad at me or like you know what like whatever I'm not even going to go it's not worth it like and you because some people take different tactics and like you might not even feel scared but you're just like all right, fine. I don't want to deal with their bullshit. So I'll just stay home. It's like, you're being controlled. Like you are now not doing something because either you're scared of what's going to happen to you if you do, or you just don't want to deal with essentially babysitting an emotionally immature person that can't handle, you know, it's valid if someone goes out and you're upset about it, even if you're really upset about it, but you don't put that on the other person. You don't punish them for it. Maybe you journal about it. You talk to a friend about it. You like whatever, like, but you don't, that's, that's not the other person's responsibility for living their life. Right. And it might not be that uh, flagrant display of anger where right. they're, they're exactly. throwing things and, oh, my God, exactly. I can't believe you went out. It, it could just be that you get home and you crawl into bed and they roll over. They won't talk it's, to you. It's a, yeah. And that's and then common. and now they're now they're pouting. Right. And it's like that. And you have is to take still, care of them. Right. And that's still manipulation. You're still yes. manipulating someone and it is a method of control, even if right. it's not a blatant, uh, like once again, and I would argue that it is blatant, but the way that right. we have all been taught, uh, control and trauma works and abuse and stuff is we're not taught that that's something that is like control. We're taught that that's just, right. Oh, he's just having a rough night and he's being a baby and ugh, and we'll move on. We'll get over it. And you're, you're now not living your life as authentically as you would like to, you're giving up experiences. And like you said, you're now babysitting your partner. Right. And it's like, which no one wants to do. It's not fun. That sucks. You shouldn't have to do like, that's the whole thing. And the other thing I was going to say is, I don't know if you've seen the office, but it's like my favorite show. And a lot of people have seen it. And there's a part I have, I have. Okay. Yeah. There's a part where it's like girls day or whatever. Um, Like they all go to the mall, Michael and all the women in the office. And um, they're like talking about Jan and his relationship. And it was like, just a completely toxic relationship. And one of them says to Michael, like, are you happy when you're with her? And he's like, no. And they're like, so what? And it's like, that's just so 
like one of the biggest like wisdom things I've ever heard is like, if they're making you cry every day, they're not the one like, you know, it's just, that's it. Like, and cause I, you know, it's like, we can get so trapped in these things of like, no, I'm never happy when I'm with them. I'm stressed. I'm terrified. I'm sad. I'm having a mental breakdown every day, but it's just cause it's complicated and like, but they love me and they're the, you know, and it's like, no, that is right. not, but there's we something love, we better love for you. so passionately right. and right. like our love is so strong. Yeah. And so yeah. because our love is so hot and like, you yeah. know, strong, cold, then our, yeah. then our conflict is really intense. It's right. just like, we just live on really intense ends right. of the spectrum. Right. And you can and like, have who, really right. intense Ooh. love without being <laughs> intensely abusive to one right. another. That's, exactly. And like, who is benefiting from this? Like, right. It's the person that's getting something out of this. And I also, I forgot to say this, but I'm not saying that you weren't abusive or that I have, I've certainly caused harm. I've hurt people, you know, most people have, but there's also a difference between reacting to someone's abuse that is pushing you over the edge to behaving in a way that you've never behaved before. You know, like you're, you're lashing out, you're screaming at them, you're fighting every day, you're calling them names, but like, how did that start? Cause did you just wake up one day and decide you were going to treat them like that or were you pushed to that brink like you know so anyways that's just something to consider yeah no that's a good point and i know personally with my experience uh my relationship was uh happening at the same time as a trauma like recovering from a trauma so there was a lot of i I wasn't myself and i've I've found i found that my experiences with abusive relationships have both times been went after this hugely traumatic event in my life where I'm literally like, I'm not myself. I am recovering from an intense amount of trauma. And like you said, that can cause you to be irritable and that can cause you to be higher strong. And Mm -hmm. then that, then I'm on edge all the time. And then to Mm -hmm. have to process trauma while also processing these abusive dynamics which are also traumatic. So now we've got trauma on trauma on trauma. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's a lot, but I'd also love to dive into um, something that kind of just popped into my head is the after the after abuse and the after relationship of once you get out of that relationship, which if you're listening and a lot of this is resonating with you and you're thinking, Ooh, they're naming a lot of things that are literally happening in my relationship. Um, you can get out. And um, if you're listening, you know my social media handle at the very least, yeah. and um, Emmy will be tagged. So uh, feel free to DM either one of us. Um, but if the after can be really hard because um, I think multiple things can happen. For one, like you said, there is that lack of safety and it, it can be really scary to trust someone again. And for two, there can be this um, almost addiction to conflict where you become so enamored with the chaos and you think that Mm -hmm. relationships are supposed to be chaotic. And so when Mm -hmm. you get into a relationship that's calm and safe and healthy, it's boring and it's slow and it just feels kind of lame. And I remember dating a partner after my... Uh, multiple abusive relationships and I was talking to my therapist and I was like, Jesus, it's so boring. Like, and I would, I would, I would go back and forth hot and cold where I would be so like over the top head over heels for him. And then I'd be like, I'm bored. And I talked to her about it and she was like, is he boring or is it healthy? And I was like, Oh fuck. 
I think it might be healthy. And she was like, it sounds pretty healthy. Like from what you've told me, it sounds real healthy. And you might be feeling kind of bored because there isn't this constant conflict and you've now conditioned, there's been not you've conditioned, but this, this relationship conditioned your brain into thinking that love equals chaos. Right. Which it it shouldn't. I'm so happy you brought that up. Uh, Yeah. So I actually have like an entire course all about relationships after trauma. Um, So love this topic. And, you know, it's not tailored just to abusive relationships. The course isn't, but trauma messes with us in in predictable ways. Um, But one of those things is whether you went through an abusive relationship or oppression or an abusive family dynamic or like, you know, all sorts of trauma, um, even medical trauma, stuff like that. And you, you basically, your body gets used to surviving in a state of danger of like, there's perceived danger all around you at all times. And so if you get in a relationship that is safe, your body, like there's a lot of things that could happen is like, it, it, first of all, it's uncomfortable at the very least because you're like, I don't, I don't, it, I'm just saying I don't fit in here or I don't belong reads, rings such a bell for me and my current, we've been together four and a half years and like the whole almost first year, I was just like, I don't belong with you. Like I'm broken. I'm messed up. Like you are perfect. And of course he isn't, but it's just like, you are a securely attached, well-adjusted, non-traumatized person that's treating me well and my body doesn't know what to do with that. Um, So I'm very grateful that I didn't push him away, you know, because that's what commonly happens is people are like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, uh, this isn't right. And then they go back to someone that's on the same level as them, aka repeat the cycle of trauma. Right, right. Or even just, oh, I don't, I'm not worthy of something that's this good because you put yourself at this inferior level where it literally feels like that kind of fairy tale dynamic where you're dating the prince and you're the popper kind of a thing. Right. And it's just like, we are not on the same level here. This, right. this isn't, and even like, this isn't fair to you. There, right. I did a lot of that where like, I would yeah. self-sabotage yes. and fuck up situations because I right. was like, I would make decisions for my partner right? and decide right. for my uh, partner, uh, yeah. you don't deserve this. So I'm going to end right. it. Right. Which then it's like, you just took away the autonomy of your partner. Right. They get to decide if they're ready or if they're not ready right. for this. That's their decision. Right. That's not yours. Right. Because you're so used to making sure everything's okay. And like you're, you know, right. like you're used to taking responsibility for someone else's mental well-being, whether that was your parent, your partner, whatever. Um, but yeah, so that addiction to conflict or whatever or chaos is incredibly normal and I think that's what's so important is like when you don't know that that that's like a thing that happens it's so easy to be like I guess I'll just always be like this I'm the common denominator I'll never change and it's like no you just have to kind of tolerate the uncomfortable feeling of not belonging or of being broken and messed up get support and realize you're not alone and like you know you're gonna heal and it's you're gonna get used to it and yeah Healthy relationships are absolutely boring sometimes. Um, But there's a lot of ways to find excitement, you know? And it's like, that's the thing. It's like relationships aren't our sole place of adrenaline or passion or creativity or even, you know, everyone has different beliefs of this, but like, you know, sensuality, even sexuality for some people who have open relationships, whatever. Like 
you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. So if, you know, if you have a week or two or day or whatever, where you're like kind of bored with your relationship, that's not like the end of the world. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay. Well, yeah. And I mean, hell, if you compare that to a friendship right, or anything else, right, there are many times when my friendships are boring per se, or it's like, oh, we've go, we're going through a plateau right now. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go find some right. like crazy ass friends so that right. we can like yell at each other all the time. Like, no, right. thank you. But yeah, I, and I think it's even interesting because uh, say that you're, you know, whatever that, um, wherever that kind of need for chaos is coming from, whether that's from mm-hmm. a dynamic with a partner or a family or whatever, or even a friend. Um, it's also important to not try to go seek out that chaos in other ways. Right. And I think social media is a huge aspect of that where, and I am like battling this on my own right now because I'm mm. bored. I'm bored yeah. right now just with my life. Yeah. I'm, I live by myself. Like it's, you know, yeah. COVID is a lot and I'm finding yeah. myself like going on Facebook and just like looking for an argument Ooh, or yeah, like going on Twitter and just being like, okay, who can I fight with? And it's not <laughs> conscious. It's not yeah. conscious. I'm not doing it consciously, but I'll be scrolling and I'm just like yeah. already in activated fight mode. Yeah. And I'm just like really like like searching for somebody to to mm-hmm. argue with and to debate with. And yeah, then after stimulus. yeah, and then afterwards it's like I'm so fucking exhausted and I don't feel re-energized and I don't feel proud of myself. Right. And a lot of the times my feelings are hurt because people on the internet can be mean. Yeah, totally. And I'll sit there and I'll be like, okay, this sucked. Like why right. the fuck did I do this? But then I'll scroll a little bit further and I'll see right. something else that sets me off and I'm like and yeah. we're ready to fight again. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Uh, that's such a good point. Yeah. Social media is so complicated. And that's a really good nuanced perspective to bring to this idea of like what I basically just said was like, if you have a need for what I was trying to say is more like passion or spontaneity or excitement. Right. You know, you can find that elsewhere. And like something for me is like books tv shows like you can get real drama you know and like yes you don't have to bring that into your relationship like yes like go watch some some random action movie or some crazy episode of the bachelor if you're looking for some like intense action chaos drama whatever um and you can even channel that energy if you've got this like kind of um impulsive need for chaos you yeah. can even channel that in because uh, the reality is those those impulses and those needs only last for I think the science is like a few minutes max. Yeah, like seconds, it's like I think. yeah, it's like yeah. it's pretty brief. And so if you yeah. delay that gratification, and let's say you say, you know what, I'm gonna run in place, right? Or I'm gonna go punch my pillow, scream into or, a pillow. My favorite. yeah, or I have one that I um my therapist recommended this to me. If you live on your own and you have a backyard, mm-hmm. um, throwing ice at the concrete. Which I live oh, in an apartment that. complex, and I was like, I would prefer not to be the girl throwing ice against the wall. Yeah. Like, no, thank you. Um, but she said you yeah. throw ice in your sink, um, in your kitchen sink. Yeah. Or I, like I literally bought a um a, like a punching bag because I was just like mm, I will have these awesome. bursts of anger and I was just like even yeah. I, I'm a recovering uh like self-harm mm-hmm. addict basically and yeah, yeah. um I it's that same kind of like huh, that rush yeah. and that impulse and those impulses you might feel like you're having an impulse for chaos or even mm-hmm. for sex for 
uh, harm, right? For whatever. And you're, you're really honestly just feeling an impulse. That's and so you can true. then channel that impulse into something that maybe isn't destructive. Maybe it's creative. And now you've got this energy output. Um, and maybe you really do need to release some destructive energy and you can be destructive, but you can be destructive in a way that is not harmful to you or to others. Right. Um, and same thing with the chaos. You can find chaos, uh, even yeah. taking a piece of paper and like scribbling in circles and creating chaotic patterns on a piece of paper. That's still chaos, yeah. but it's chaos that doesn't harm anybody. Yep. Ugh, so good. Yeah, I feel like my personal brand of like what you're describing is the desire for self-destruction of like, this is too much. Like, yeah, I used to self-harm. I used to drink heavily, smoke, do other drugs, all that. And it's like this desire to just like, ugh, like release all of it. Uh, so yeah, I find like a lot of times for me is like writing like in like a scrawl, like you're just like scribbling, but like writing like dark stuff, you know, but just getting it out and just being like, yeah, like these emotions are real. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, and that's why it's hard. Like this stuff is, is hard work, but you know, it is all a part of like something that helps me to see is like, what would the abuser want from me? Like, would the abuser want me to take care of myself or would the abuser want me to self-destruct? And it's like, it, that helps me personally because I don't want to give him any more of my life than I already have. Uh, and you know, I tend to my trauma every day, but that's me tending to me. Whereas like if I self-destruct it, you know, and I don't, I try not to like blame myself or be like, oh, you let him win. But it just helps motivate me of like, you know, even like, should I keep working right now or should I rest? It's like, okay, well, what would the abusers of the world want me to burn out right now or me to take care of myself? They'd want me to burn out. So fuck that. I'm going to take care of myself. Right. Yeah. And I think just in general, um, finding whatever works for you in those moments because right. I do think that like you just said uh what works for me might be different for you because yeah. our impulses might be different or because right. our motivations might be different yeah. um and I'll actually post a I have a list that I um I have a little drawer that is my mental health drawer in my apartment that has all different oh, wow. alternatives to self-harm because that mm, was something I was really so struggling good when I first moved in by myself. Yeah. Um, so I will post that list at like when this episode drops so that there cool. are some resources that are tangible for this conversation. Um, but awesome. thank you so much for coming on. I feel yeah. like this is a really productive conversation. Um, and I want to give you a shot here to plug anything, your social media, any courses you have. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, love talking about these topics as hard as they are and I just want everyone to know that if you're hearing us talking about this and at least for me I know you can't see me but I smile a lot when I talk about trauma which is very interesting but I just want people to know that like if you're hearing this and you're like wow she's so strong or something just know like I've been doing the healing work for a really long time uh it's not you know it's not about strength it's more of like just practice or, or just the way I am is I, you know, I can kind of dissociate from my feelings when I think and I talk. So I just want everyone to know that like, if you can't even talk about what you've gone through, or every time you try, you start crying, or you just shut down, just know that's totally normal and totally fine. Um, but on that note, yeah, so my Instagram, I'm also on TikTok and uh, Pinterest as blooming with Emmy. My website is emmymarie.com. 
I do that relationships after trauma course. And I also do one-to-one trauma-informed coaching. That's a three-month program. And it also includes a course and everything else I've ever created. Um, I have lots of freebies on my website and on Instagram. So I try to, you know, have like accessible information. And then if you want to dive deeper, we can do that too. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, um, as always, all of that information will be in the episode notes so that you guys can access all of that. I will tag Emmy in the post that I post on our Instagram. I would highly recommend following her. I've been following her for actually quite a long time on my personal page. And um, she posts a lot of like really beneficial things on Instagram. So um, thank you so much for coming. Like I said, this is quite a full circle moment for me. So um I really appreciate you coming on. It's like a little bit of a fangirl moment for me in the mental health community. Oh, yeah, that's so funny because I have those moments all the time. Um like yeah so I, I just think it's so cool. It's like we all get to become friends and uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for it's a it's a out. it's a weird unique <laughs> space. It's a it's a fun yeah, space though. Um, but yeah, so that's all the time we have for today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. Um, you can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath. And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow And you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will see you guys next week.